1: Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
2: Coming up on Chopper's Politics.
1: Can he come back? Does
2: he want to come back? Have you asked the
1: question? You know, he has so many opportunities. He could be in America. He could technically run for president if you wanted to. I mean, because he's American-born, everyone forgets that.
0: Hello and welcome to the Red Lion Pub. I'm Christopher Hope, associate editor for politics at the Daily Telegraph, and this is Chopper's Politics Podcast. Now, the sun is shining above me here in Westminster, but storm clouds are gathering. Millions of us are feeling the cost of soaring interest rates and the effect on our mortgages. Added to that... The Tory party is reeling from the abrupt exit from frontline politics of former Prime Minister Boris Johnson. It's a difficult political backdrop. With me this week, we have Tim Knox, a former think tank boss, who has ideas about how to get Whitehall to work for the politicians. And one of the seven Tory MPs who voted against the Partygate report, government whip Joy Morrissey, joins me for a rare interview to discuss why she stood up for Boris Johnson... When so few of our colleagues did. But first, the economy. Bank bosses are due to meet with Jeremy Hunt on Friday to discuss spiralling mortgage rates and what they can do to help. And with me now in the Red Line pub, hot footed from his desk in the Treasury, is Andrew Griffith, Economic Secretary to the Treasury. Andrew, welcome to Chopper's Politics Podcast.
2: Great to be here.
0: Over the road. From Thank the, you for, from my, your, mug. You Thank you for your my mug. You've got your mug. Big focus today. Today is a, is a Thursday, and the Bank of England might be setting interest rates higher later in the day. Lots of listeners will be remortgaging or about to remortgage, uh, worrying about it. Mm. What can you do about it, about soaring interest rates, about remortgages? I mean, money's tight.
2: It is a difficult time for those who either who've got mortgages or those who are more impacted more widely because mm. um, it's not just as simple as those with mortgages. Obviously, people, a lot of your listeners will be in private rented accommodation mm. and, and they're indirectly affected as well. Because landlords have have, will have a face to to costs. It is something that we're seeing across Western economies. Prime Minister and Chancellor have both talked about that so we can go through Australian a list of all yes. those different markets. Yes. And, and that's sometimes missing from the debate. There are obviously... A lot of different options that we have worked on previously with lenders, options to extend mortgages, to move to an interest-only period, to just generally give forbearance because they would quite rightly say the last thing they want is for people to end Repossessions up being, or a being repossessed. That's disaster for everybody. And we're a very long way away from that. The current level of people in mortgage arrears is almost as low as it has ever been. It's been flat since the period before COVID, so it hasn't really changed despite the interest rate environment. It's a lot lower than it was when Labour were last in power, so it's mm-hmm. just less than 1% now. That was about 3.3% in two thousand. And nine. Uh, it's in obviously a, in the wake of a, a financial crisis. So, compared to that, it's nowhere near where we are in the late 90s. Yeah, the, the cautious, look, I'm always very balanced. The cautious good news is that at the moment we start from a position of arrears being at a historical low most people's mortgages, unlike in 2008, the banking sector has been much more circumspect about the amounts it will lend people. They've run stress tests as well against different interest rates environment to test affordability. There are that that range of options for mortgage holders. And remember, one of the reasons why we see Higher than desired inflation in the UK economy is because of a very tight labour market. So again, what we're not seeing is people on a wholesale level losing their jobs. We're not seeing rising unemployment. And if you remain in work, you can continue to service your mortgage with relief from the lenders. If that ever becomes a thing, Mm. you know, there are options for everybody. Jeremy Hunt is meeting with banks tomorrow and you're in the meetings, I suppose.
0: Is that, Are those options Are then, to if you're on a repayment, just pay the interest only for a bit or lengthen the time of the mortgage or mortgage holidays for a few months? These are now,
2: all of those are options. So, as everyone would say and as the regulations anyway require, repossession is an absolute last resort. You know, Labour talk about not having a repossession period for six months. The reality is that neither would lenders will seek to do that, nor would that normally happen on anything mm. like that time frame. It's, it's much much, much longer if that is the case. But there's a lot more options along the way before that. The option to move to interest only, the option to extend the term, Mm. perhaps to overpay. Some people will have overpaid and have a little bit of equity in their mortgage as well. So, look, it is a difficult time. I mean, the Chancellor and the Prime Minister are absolutely right. I agree that what we need to do at the moment is stick to the course. The thing that wouldn't help anybody is putting out lots more unfunded spending pledges, all that would do is increase the pain mm. in the economy, make inflation last for longer, and that's the thing that would drive because up interest rates. Because
0: bringing that rates. down is like a tax cut, isn't it? I mean, as Jeremy Hunt said before on this podcast.
2: Yeah, inflation is a, is a tax on, on cost of living. It, mm. it, it makes us all poorer, and the quicker we can get down, and the way to do that is to have stability in the economy and get quickly to the point where we can reduce inflation. That's what will reduce interest rates.
0: It's a challenge, though. I mean, if the PM can't halve inflation by the end of the year... What happens next? Will he? What, what's your estimation of that at the moment? 8.5% inflation now.
2: Look, I, I'm not a forecaster. That is in line with you know, the forecasts that are out there at the moment, are consistent with halving inflation this year. Is it? So where we are now is where we, we are on the way down to halving it by That's then? That's what right? we see from the forecasts. They must do their job. I mean, what we've got to do is run the economy in a sensible way. Not lose sight, by the way, and the Prime Minister has been very clear about this, not lose sight of the opportunity when the time is ready to be able to reduce the tax burden. I'm a mm-hmm. conservative. Yes. I believe in you know, keeping taxes as low as possible. One of the reasons why you know, people have talked about Myras, and I think one of the reasons why that's wrong, is, is what we actually want is a tax system that's fair and simple mm-hmm. and as low as possible. Uh, and rather than putting more selective reliefs that help one particular yes. group you know not always necessarily those that are the most acute yes. you know because it's not the most directed something like myres as a conservative i want a tax system that's fair and simple and low and the way you do that is both through things like the challenge the chancellor set on productivity particularly in the public sector which is where we have this mm. this really big challenge of putting in more money at the top and not getting as much output and your colleague john uh, glenn through, is my colleague they- John Glenn is leading that, um, working across the whole of government. And that's one of the ways that we can make the public purse go a little bit further whilst achieving the Prime Minister's uh, five objectives. You mentioned Myra. has that been looked at then and rejected by Treasury? Look, I think Myris is long departed. Yes. I mean, Myris was introduced, right. yes. remember, Chris, at a point when the highest rate of income tax was 60%. Yes, of course. Right? Back so we're, in the 80s. We're, in, we're yes. in a very different yes, yes. world. Yes, yes. Um, and again, my own view is we want a tax system that's yes. fair and simple yes. and low. And the way you don't achieve that is by putting in lots of selected reliefs. So what you actually want to do is, yes. is try and have a system that is as low as possible across the board. Yes,
0: but the banks can afford this, can't they? They've done pretty well from high interest rates, haven't they, the banks? And they can afford fine
2: measures to help mortgage holders? Well, they can and they should. And that's in everybody's enlightened self-interest because yeah. nobody wants to see repossessions increase. No one wants to see arrears increase. As I said, you know, we're not seeing a significant increase in unemployment. Actually, quite the opposite. And I think as we're speaking, the Secretary of State for Education and the Chancellor are also talking to some of the UK's biggest employers mm-hmm. about how we address the skills gap, about how we make the most of those more than 1 million people you know, who could potentially be in work, mm. that would be a significant improvement on the supply side to reduce inflation. Because one of the things that's driving yes. up costs, particularly the cost that's of... that's the heart
0: of the Brexit debate, isn't it? Which we, we know about. Don't we, what we know, rather than bring in Labour from overseas, let's
2: use people who aren't working here to get back to work. Yeah, I think it should, I mean, it's, it's the heart of a productivity debate. It's a part of how do you make the most of the formidable expertise and talent of the British people, mm. but also how do you avoid consigning some people in society to a point where they're not in work, with all of the other benefits that we know weakness, come I with that. If you are trying to
0: re-enter the workforce in your 50s and you go to the job centre, they won't talk to you unless you're on benefits, which I don't understand my view. If I was in government, I would say job centres should have a corner of their office to let people find a way back into the workforce. There you are, that's an idea maybe, for you. Maybe this, could, maybe this you.
2: could be your next idea, the, the, the drop-in. <laughs> no the, the, one listens the, to me. The work coach on a Thursday morning with... <laughs> with- Christopher really Hope of the Telegraph. I went back into work. Yes. I was just turning 50 and I came absolutely. back into the workplace to, absolutely to try world. and we'll come to serve your, the public.
0: We'll come to your story in a minute. But just, just briefly, are you sympathetic towards the Bank of England governor? I say that because he's meant to keep inflation at 2%. It's now four times that, whatever it is now. I mean, are you sympathetic? Black Swan events have come that have made difficult for them. There's a war in Ukraine, the pandemic. Now there are forecasts. Tory MPs on the right are very critical of the governor.
2: Look, first of all, I try and avoid... I know. I, I try and avoid adjectivization. Yes. Um, the Chancellor's been very clear that the remit of the Bank of England, the Monetary Policy Committee, remains the inflation yes. target of 2%. And they're independent. For, all of, the reason, for yes. all of the reasons you say about it being a tax and a challenge on our, on our cost of living and, and hurting many people in society. So clearly, we want to get to that target as quickly as possible. I've also observed it's a macroeconomic factor that's affecting lots of countries across the West. In the UK, one of, one of the different features in the UK is our particularly tight labour market. So that's something that the Chancellor's talked a lot about, that the government's doing a lot of work on to try and ease those shortages that are pushing up the cost of labour. And we'll see how all of that goes. But were they too slow
0: to act? That's what people tell
2: me in the bank. On Look, they've, they've got their job to do. I'm a big fan of sort of controlling what you can control. So from on the fiscal side of things, what can we do? We can avoid, yes. unlike Labour, making uncosted spending pledges that yes. undermines of the course. confidence of the markets and against any monetary policy. If you're running a fiscal policy that doesn't balance the books, then that's going to lead to a higher level of interest rates, a higher risk, if you like, that investors will demand of us uh, than if we do the other. So that's kind of our job. Yes. big fan of staying in of our course. lane and letting, you, yeah, yeah, and yeah. letting the governor, you, I, well, the governor do course. what he clearly, you know, yes. is expected by the Chancellor and the, others the, to do. The, the
0: politics of all this, of course, is the government is blamed for everything because the government's in charge, even though you don't have control over some key parts of the economy which can help people's household budgets, but that's that was, you are where you
2: are, that was established by the Labour Party. I mean, my view is you hold us account for what yeah, we do course, and don't course, yeah. do, but sometimes the frustration in Parliament, we're sitting here in SW1 in the yes. red line just across the road, sometimes the frustration is too many people try to remove that context? Yes, you know, I could sit yes. there and be at the dispatch box for an hour, and the opposition would barely mention yes. COVID and Ukraine. And those oh, are the oh, challenges yeah. that have got us largely to where we are of today, with four hundred billion of extra that's the elephant extra in the room. Spend that we've we've put into the economy to protect people. Well, everyone was happy with that protection, including the opposition. I just think it's a bit glib, mm-hmm. a bit trite, a bit economically illiterate. Mm. Mm that we then have a political debate mm. where the opposition won't even acknowledge that this is happening in other countries yeah. who've been through exactly the same experience. You're fa- and, and it's never yeah. at the extremity. You're
0: a fascinating minister because you've been in or around the last three prime ministers in the room a lot of the time. You're the PPS to Boris Johnson. You worked for Liz Truss in the Treasury when she was prime minister. You're now with Rishi Sunak in the Treasury. On the trust point, do you think she is much maligned or not. The Labour Party is saying this is a kind of Liz trust created situation we're in. Is
2: that fair? If you look at the charts of of things like guilt rates, you can see that there were movements around the mini budget. Mm. Since then, we've reverted to trend. And I always try and take the long view. Look, No one's ever as as good as they say or ever (laughs) as bad as they say, right? Everyone gets mixed reviews. And what I've always tried to do in my very limited time here is to just deal straight with everybody and Perhaps that's you know, why you're do, always, you're always do, in the big jobs nowadays well well we'll because see you're that person we'll, we'll, we'll see but that's you know that's what i've tried to do is to focus on the task in hand as well and goodness me what a great opportunity as as the city minister you know i'm the mm. economic secretary yeah. quotes the city minister i i'd that's not about the City of London. That's about every, every city in the UK because from Bournemouth to Belfast, we've got wonderful financial services. You know, I've got a great job to do, Chris. Mm. I've got to help the Chancellor well, and the Prime Minister deliver their objective of yeah. reforming something that's about 11% of the whole economy. So you're, you're, when we talk about growth, yeah, okay. we ain't going to do it, bluntly, if we don't make the financial services sector one of the single biggest sectors because of the whole economy work. And it's also yeah. the superpower is it's going to power... Space and AI and life sciences, all of the other, and infrastructure. So all of the other parts of the economy that the Prime Minister has set out, his vision for our country to lead in, require really functioning capital markets if you like they've got to be able to get the investment and and be able to because your background is Rothschild. i should tell this is
0: Rothschilds. your finance director at sky when they sold to comcast you made some money for yourself no problem with that jeremy hunt made money from hot courses his sale what have you brought to your to your public service from the the business business world i mean have you been able to are you frustrated by the the slow pace of things happening and people aren't really feeling the heat of fear of failure which you do feel certainly in the private sector
2: no, look, it's different. I'm, I'm actually very, very, um, you know, this for me is, is a desire to, to serve the public, to, to put something you came in Some in people late, say yeah. that's a bit naive, but that's my view, is that we ask politicians to do all the really hard things. In society, if it was easy, it would sort of be done well before it got to SW1. What have you brought from your business world? Look, I hope drive right. I mean, in business, I was first in and the last out, and that's you know just one of the jobs that you do if you take a position Mm. of leadership. Uh, You try and build great teams, so you surround yourself with really good, smart people, and there are lots of people like that. Well, Treasury has the best, normally. Actually, across government, because again, you have to work, you know, you do have to work collaboratively, Um, working a lot, for example, with the brilliant Minister for Pensions at the moment, as we seek to deliver some of the reforms the Chancellor's seeking in that domain. So drive and then focus, you know, just actually staying in your Mm. swim lane a little bit. I've got big challenges to do in whatever mm. role i've done and trying to be very aligned on that and, you, and, so, and a, you, bit, could... a bit driven chris but yeah. actually the insights are how do you get results and they're not individual they're always collective and you talk about moving from business into government yes um i mean one of my big heroes and very sadly i went to his memorial service with others recently david was young. david young mm. and he's a big you were know, you wearing a bow tie or not he was i, I wore a bow tie that good, day very i mean good, it's, the, it's probably the one and only time i've worn a, yeah, so a bow tie i was asked it seemed like a nice thing to do but but he was a hero because he came into government he did service you know he served in senior roles and he instituted a lot of reforms things like the you know enterprise allowance scheme the startups but also a lot of those you know they take time to come through so so i hope that you know many of the benefits of our city reforms you know will come through quickly things like solvency 2 we're unleashing capital immediately uh, but also many of those will just make the uk UK financial yes. services more competitive for a generation. And he's mu- much missed. Uh, Lord Young, Lord David Young, never yeah. took a penny
0: in any of his government roles.
2: Is that right? Never well, paid. I mean, I like, says, I like the... I won't put it back on The best thing I think he did was, the, you know, renaming the department for business the department for enterprise. Yes. I mean, that was a, we we love that. Just you know, very briefly,
0: and I've got to ask you finally... Someone who's had a ringside seat over the past three years in government. You, I mean, I think you're one of the senior 2019 intake MPs in government. You're PPS to Boris Johnson. You worked for Liz Trust Close. you now with Richie Sunak. How would you think about a company which changed CEOs so often? Would you worry about that company? Or do you, do you understand
2: why it happened? I mean... Look, I think I think we've been through as a, as a country. I mean, you know, when I was elected in 2019, look, yes. I'm, I'm here to serve. Pre-COVID, um, pre-Ukraine. Pre-COVID, pre-Ukraine. No one would have foreseen that, and so we've all lived. You know, it's like dog years, right? We've lived through it. It feels like that. We've, yes, we've, Every year's lived, worth seven. we've lived through many <laughs> yes. more eras. It's not a huge surprise if we look at those massive different, you know, war on European soil for the first time in 70 years, a global pandemic, you know, certainly first time for 100 years, but never, never before at this level of world sophistication and, and the challenges that were there in the background anyway, which are nothing to do with any government, but, you know, we're living longer. So we know
0: that's the background. So, but were... so in,
2: in that context, I'm just, yes. I'm always about context, yes. Chris. In that context, is it surprising that this government, you know, this party has popped a rivet or two along the way amidst those great strengths? Not, right? Would one preferred to have had a calmer period, you know, as a reformer? Could we have delivered more reform had we had clear air to operate in? you know of course and that is my expectation we're now back into clear air we've got all of the ability it's difficult in terms of the economy but we will get through that we've got the ability to be a good reforming government that's trying to make the lives and the prospects of the british people better and i'm an optimist i'm absolutely an optimist that you know this government will be re-elected when they look at the opportunity Mm. of people who are trying to do their best against difficult circumstances with the sincerity and leadership of the Prime Minister versus the jeopardy of what we might see not just on the Labour front benches but also those behind them mm. who were also the people behind Corbyn and it hasn't really changed. Tax cuts for the election? Look, I'd like tax cuts, but, but that's subordinate. That's subordinate to dealing with the economy. Got high hopes of the opportunity of productivity in the very large public sector to give us some of the capacity yeah. and headroom. But, you know, that's, that's just saying what the Chancellor has said. I don't want to step beyond that. No. You know, we'll, we'll have to see. And it's important that people understand that above all else, you know, we will be good stewards of the economy. On that note, Andrew Griffith, busy morning for
0: you. You've come over the road to the Red Lion Pub. Thank you for joining us this week on Chopper's Politics Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Andrew Griffith there. Now do stay with us, listeners. Coming up, we'll be hearing from Government Whip Joy Morrissey about why she stood firm in her support of Boris Johnson this week, even when she was told not to by the man himself. Right after this. In March,
2: the Daily Telegraph broke a story. The former health secretary, Matt Hancock, has described the leaking of thousands of his WhatsApp messages. The Daily Telegraph says it's obtained thousands of WhatsApp messages.
0: 100,000 leaked WhatsApp messages revealed. Some poor so-and-sos had to go through those.
1: And now those same poor so-and-sos are going deeper.
0: The stunning incompetence of the British state was absolutely extraordinary.
1: The Covid inquiry may be underway. They definitely knew what they were doing when they took them out of the hospitals into the care homes. But you shouldn't have to wait years for answers.
2: You've got lockdown. There is no way that that isn't going to have a massive impact.
1: If I had sit on that material to protect politicians' dark secrets, I don't think that would have been an honourable thing to do. The Lockdown Files podcast
2: from The Telegraph. Follow now, wherever you're listening to this, to make sure you don't miss an episode.
0: Now this week, one of the big beasts of British politics slunk off to the background and become a columnist for the Daily Mail. Boris Johnson has left politics chased by the matter of a report by the Privileges Committee into whether he lied to Parliament over Partygate. When that report was voted on on Monday this week, just seven Tory MPs voted against it. And one of those was Joy Morrissey, government whip. And here she is in her first interview since then. Joy Morrissey, welcome back to Chopper's Politics Podcast.
1: It's wonderful to be here.
0: Great to have you back in the Red Lion Pub.
1: It's true. You, it's you found it. me as a new recruit in 2019. That's and- it.
0: And you're on there with Richard Holden. Yes. He was an MP from the North and you're an MP from the South. And we're trying to work out what had Boris Johnson done to win that election. Extraordinary. Four years on, it's a bit different.
1: It is. What's happened? A lot has happened. We've had uh, COVID. We've had Ukraine. We've had three prime ministers. Yes. And uh, so it's been a very busy time. It's not what
0: you forecast when you became MP for Beckinsville to replace Dominic Grieve.
1: It certainly wasn't. I think we came in with such enthusiasm. We were going to get Brexit done, which we did. And we could have never dreamed of an international pandemic striking. No, and And a war. And a war.
0: So there's been lots of pressure on the government, but also Boris Johnson has gone. Who do you blame for that?
1: I blame the Labour Party for Boris Johnson leaving. I think they have wanted him out since the beginning. This is a very organised coup on their part. Let's not pretend like they don't see him as the biggest election winner for us. And polling would show that. So, of course, they wanted to remove him before the next general election. And they found a way. They did find a way.
0: But there is some blame attached to him, surely. The Owen (laughs) Paterson affair was a whipped matter around by his behaviour. And then, of course, we move on, don't we, into Partygate. And does he shoulder any blame at all, do you think?
1: I think he has apologized so many times and has been so remorseful and taken full responsibility and not put the responsibility on anyone else. He has actually shouldered full responsibility for everything. And that is one thing I very much respect about Boris Johnson. People don't realize that when push comes to shove, he will take full responsibility. That's what he did for the Ukraine. He mm. made those choices. I saw him do it as his PPS. Too. The vaccine The And, you know, he could have made those choices and been the wrong choices, but he took responsibility single-handedly. And that's what I respect about him.
0: Does he listen to advice?
1: I think he does, actually. Do you?
0: Because many say he doesn't to me.
1: So in the Downing Street system, you've become very cut off. You're surrounded by civil servants. You're not only... The leader of your party but you are the leader of of the country and Boris is very very good at keeping a finger on the pulse when he's just allowed to just walk around talk to people just be himself and I think during Covid we all suffered from that isolation of not being able to speak to one another and interact
0: and that impacted you think or maybe the way he was able to deal with people to get colleagues on his side
1: if you remember when he was mayor of London Labour London He would just go on the bus. Because you were there with him, weren't you? I was. I mean, I've I've been a supporter, you know, for a very long time. And only only he could have won London twice. And he would just get on the bus, talk to people, get on the tube. And he would hear people. They might be aggressive to him, but he would take in their views. And then he would come up with a policy that sort of worked for everyone. And he does best when he's just allowed to just talk to people and be himself. And COVID cut him off from those sort of his key strength.
0: Literally when he caught it, because of course he's on his own in that flat without many friends around him. And that made it more difficult. I mean, and those behaviours that happened on his watch, he said, sorry, didn't he? But on his watch, can you see why people lost faith in his leadership? Because the government was being so intrusive in trying to run our lives through lockdown, wasn't it? And yet those behaviours were quite difficult to stomach.
1: I think it's a cautionary tale for any conservative that we are there to defend personal freedom and people's right to privacy and things like that. And I think Boris did actually get that message, which is why he lifted lockdown and received quite a Mm. lot earlier than other countries, much earlier. And also, if Labour had been in charge, we would have still been in lockdown probably for another year. So he got the message and then responded promptly.
0: So for all these reasons, you were one of seven MPs who voted against that report from the the privileges committee on monday well that's a big moment for you joy
1: so all the boris supporters abstained from the vote they were told if they wanted to support boris they should boycott the whole thing which i understand and i respect that and i was told that as well so i should point that out because it was a mass boycott of the actual vote and you did see a very large number of abstentions from the parliamentary party. And the same even smaller number was the same number that put in resignations against Boris in the first place, those that voted for it. So the abstention, I think, was quite, quite high. And that says a lot.
0: The 102 MPs who wanted him to fight Rishi Sunak last October for leadership, why was that setting seven? But you're saying that's because they were told to abstain.
1: Yes, everyone was told to abstain. But I was the whip on duty at the time. And for me, it was about the parliamentary precedent that the committee report was setting. It was allowing for the misleading of the House unintentionally or unknowingly misleading the House in a way that is a tricky and slippery slope for the way that you can actually take a minister or prime minister And haul them into standards or privileges for something that they didn't even realize was wrong in the first place. And I thought I was going to be the only one objecting. And the reason I wanted to object so strongly is because they use the fact that no one objected to the committee being sort of put together in the first place. And if no one objects to anything, it goes through on the nod Mm. usually. But it means then that they can say, oh, the House is supportive. The House is in agreement. I would rather have stood alone at that moment because I believe that this is bad for democracy, this creep into controlling free speech, controlling what members of parliament are allowed to say. It is our one recourse to stand up for our constituents is to speak and not be in fear mm. of being taken in.
0: Have you read the report?
1: Oh, yes. Cover to cover.
0: Because it's very damning on Boris Johnson, doesn't it? It sets out these occasions when he sh- he should have known that what was happening and then should have corrected the record much quicker.
1: So the interesting thing about this is the new precedent that it sets where if they notice that a minister or a prime minister or anyone has said the wrong numbers to you know, respond to a UQ or mm, to... urgent question. Uh, yes, sorry, an urgent question. And oftentimes a minister is given less than an hour to prepare for something incredibly difficult, so they're very reliant on their civil servants giving them the information that's correct. Mm. So if there is any kind of misquoting of a stat someone doesn't come back and apologise now to the House, they can be hauled in for unknowingly misleading the House. Mm. That will mean that ministers will not speak freely. They will not actually come and be transparent. They will be so cautious to even respond to the House of Commons. And I think that's what this report, in its zeal to get rid of Boris, has actually inadvertently done.
0: You raise those concerns with the Speaker. I and mean, That's a Speaker issue, great because mm. he controls what's said in the House of Commons. If you're saying that's going to happen, what does Lindsay Hoyle think?
1: Well, I think we need to press collectively. All sides of the House need to press to protect our parliamentary privilege, to speak freely, to speak openly. And many larger scandals have been exposed by backbenchers going against the orthodoxy and the establishment to expose things. Mm. You know, you have Labour with Sarah Champion and others. There's been many across history where they've been able to speak freely and we have to protect that right of parliamentarians. And I was asked to stand with all the other supporters and abstain, but I had to stand by my conviction. I had to do this for my own personal conviction that this was wrong and that we had to protect parliamentary freedom. Do you think people are jealous of Boris Johnson? 100%. Why is that? Because he's our one charismatic leader. He sits
0: outside of the normal politics, doesn't he? He does,
1: and he attracts people that don't like politicians. He is genuinely the most charismatic politician we have in British politics, and people love him.
0: I say people as MPs, colleagues of yours and in the Labour Party, are jealous of him and want to kick him out.
1: Very jealous. I don't think there's a politician who has received more abuse and bullying. If you looked ironically, at how much he's received in the past you know, year alone. It's absolutely shocking. And he's actually a very lovely, kind person, but he is one of the most charismatic individuals you can meet. So he's wonderful for our party in terms of a vote winner.
0: But he's gone. He's gone. Is that going to cost the party the next election?
1: I think we all have to sort of stand together, be unified, stand behind the Prime Minister, support the Prime Minister. And I think the Prime Minister made the right decision by abstaining as well because he wanted Mm. to unify the party.
0: And respecting the will of the committee. Yes,
1: and I think he made the right choice by abstaining. The, The Prime Minister abstaining sent a message that he wants to unify the party. He wants to move forward, move on. And that we can all come together. And he did allow for a free vote, mm. which maybe was a mistake that the Johnson administration made With she hasn't.
0: And the ideal thing would have been, I've been writing repeatedly for The Telegraph in, in my newsletter, to have Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak campaigning next summer. One in the Red Wall, Boris Johnson, one in the South of England, Rishi Sunak, and trying to hold together that coalition that you were part of in 2019. And that chance has gone.
1: Mm. That is The biggest sort of shame and disappointment for what has happened. I think we were moving toward that and Boris was willing to do that Mm. and willing to sort of move past and he stayed out of everything if everyone has noticed. And he just was going to just stay quiet, tour around the world, do what he's doing. You know, he was going to just let the government get on with it. And this has really ruined that. He could
0: have stayed though, couldn't he? And fought the recall by election if it were called after this, which is what it would have been alternative view of history, Joy, is he would have fought in Uxbridge and South Ryslip and then won and reconnected with his roots in this constituency, had to meet other colleagues, help him him win, re-found himself as a politician. That's an alternative view, what
1: happened. Absolutely, and many say that and many even supporters are critical of that. But I would argue that if I was given that report, the frustration that I would have personally felt of just the level of sort of spitefulness and what he was accused Mm. of... And then the trial and then, Mm. you know, yet another crucifixion of him. Is it a a crucifixion? Well, I mean, I was there when he resigned on the streets of Downing Street. And I've never seen such sort of baying for blood as the public, the media and everyone, thousands Mm. of people there just screaming. If they could Mm. have, you know, the gates of Downing Street, the gates of Downing Street, the press. And to have to walk through that again, knowing the outcome, why would you want to do that? I would have done the same thing and said, no, fine. I accepted, I'm done, I'm walking away. Because that's ultimately what you want, you're getting what you want, I'm walking away.
0: And how do you appraise the situation of the party without Boris Johnson? When Johnson was Prime Minister, even in the bad days, there were a few points behind in the polls, now it's 20 points behind in the polls. Of course, since then we've had Liz Truss, the chaotic administration of her time in, in office. Does the party need to re itself, what it believes in, do you think, in government?
1: Yes, we need to, I think we're at crisis point where we as the Conservatives need to stop, take stock, unify, move forward, and realize that we need to stand up for conservative values, the things the voters elected us to do in the manifesto, but also intrinsic conservative values, low tax, small state, justice. And we need to be emboldened to do that and not repeat the labor narrative. We are different than labor. Labor are socialists, and we believe in, in a free and open democracy in people being able to earn money, to enjoy themselves, to build the economy, to grow stronger. And we need to protect those things and stand up for those things and make sure the voters know that that's what we believe in. If
0: Jeremy Hunt was sitting here, he'd be saying, yes, Joy, I agree with you, but I've got inflation soaring interest rates will be going up too. What's the answer, Joy? I
1: Globally, mean- we are all suffering from that, but it's what we do in this crisis moment that will define us. And so we need to act like conservatives. That's what Margaret Thatcher did in the moment of crisis. It's a global issue, but we can rise above it by making those choices, being conservative. Is cut tax now? I think we need to make sure that we allow businesses to remain here by giving them a competitive tax rate to stay in this country to grow the economy so that we can keep those businesses, those entrepreneurs here, and that we're growing our wealth here rather than all of it leaving and going abroad.
0: Just finally, do you think the 50 or 60 government ministers who helped force out Boris Johnson last year will regret that or are regretting it yet?
1: I don't think anyone will fully see it until the general election because people underestimate the power that Boris has as an electoral winner.
0: And that's now gone as an idea. Mm -hmm. Have you talked
1: to him since you voted? I have because everyone was meant to abstain. And then, of course, I did the opposite. I guess you can't whip a whip. So I, I sort of, you know, apologize. And what do you say? He said, I understand. It was a futile gesture, but thank yeah. you. As the ship goes down. As the ship
0: goes down, one person left on the brig as it goes below the water. Can he come back? I, Does he want to come back? Have I, you asked the question?
1: You know, he has so many opportunities. He could be in America. He could technically run for president if he wanted to. I mean, because he's American born, everyone forgets that. You know, he could do so much. And I think... I don't know what he wants to do, but whatever he does, he'll be successful Mm. at. And I think we will... Sorely miss and rue the day once we've gone through an election cycle without him. Because in London, everyone thought, oh, we're going to win London, it's going to be wonderful. As soon as he left, it was absolute mm. annihilation for us in London, and we've never recovered. And Boris provides hope. He is a very hopeful, genuinely. He's sort of, people don't realize this, but he is one of the most sort of kind and effervescent people who genuinely believes and is hopeful about the country, the nation, and that positivity. It's believable because it's real. It is authentic. And not having that post-general election, I think we will rue the day that we got rid of our biggest election winner.
0: Your support, of course, you you weren't in the resignation honours list. You're not not paying back anything. You're doing it off your own bat, which makes it more powerful, possibly.
1: Yes, it makes you have less friends, but (laughs) sort of at least you can stand by your convictions. And uh, (laughs) I served Boris, and I believe in Boris. And having that background of being in Downing Street seeing him when the Sue Gray report you were his landed. PPS, you? I was his PPS.
0: Which meant you were a connection between him and Parliament.
1: That's right. And so I just have to be authentic to what I actually believe and serve my voters, serve the people of Beaconsfield and serve the Conservative Party in Parliament.
0: Jory Morrissey there. Now, on this podcast, we've heard a lot about the so-called blob, the civil servants who apparently refuse to do what government ministers want. So what's going wrong? Joining me now is Tim Knox, editor of the Effective Governance Forum. Tim Knox, welcome to Chopper's Politics Podcast. Tim, why can't ministers get what they want in Whitehall? They have an impossible job. Who's they, the ministers or the civil servants? The ministers
3: and the civil servants both have impossible jobs. Government is now so all-embracing, so complex, and ministers come in with absolutely no management experience whatsoever. Mm. They're suddenly expected to manage with the permanent secretary departments of many, many tens of thousands of people, larger than most publicly listed companies, Mm. and they simply don't have a clue. They're in office for 18 months on average. Mm. The senior civil servants aren't there much longer. So there's no institutional knowledge to fall back on. There's no expertise about the subject matter. And it's extraordinary that when they try to do something the levers of
0: power simply don't work so let's break that down MPs experience now the Labour party should win the election next year based on the current polling there are very few people in the shadow cabinet who have any experience of government at all I'm thinking of Pat McFadden John Healy that's about it what should Labour do to be ready for government to get the change they want to deliver on their manifesto do you think there should be lessons now in being a good minister That would be a start, but I think the problem is
3: much deeper than a few little seminars on how to be a good minister. Management is a particular skill. Mm. And to get things done in complex organisations, you not only need a vision of what you want to do, but you need to ensure that it is actually implemented properly. And at the moment, it takes an extraordinary individual to be able to do that, but one with no experience and no knowledge of the subject.
0: It's just bonkers. I was also struck recently by the report into Dominic Raab, bullying allegations, and his legal position within the department is he doesn't actually employ anybody. So, strangely, the ministers in charge of the policies, the line manager is the permanent secretary, and sitting above that in a kind of hazy relationship with the permanent secretary is the minister. Does that need to change? Will that help ministers pull levers that actually are attached to things in Whitehall? If you accept the premise that... uh
3: Basically, nothing in government works anymore. <laughs> okay. Not difficult to, 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 to agree with. I
0: hope that's not got, entirely true. I mean, that, that's a, ret- a rhetoric, it, 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 but anyway. rhetoric certainly.
3: What is actually needed is proper professional management and the policy side, mm. which politicians are qualified to do, which they do understand. They politicians should concentrate on that, selling it to Parliament, selling it to the media, and so on. But management, the actual implementation of policy, that we think should be done, is best done through appointing chief executive officer who has absolute responsibility for making sure that the policies are implemented effectively. And that means a complete overhaul of Whitehall. It needs a complete restructuring of departments. It needs an end to the extraordinary flow between departments of senior civil servants. So all institutional knowledge is always lost. It's a relatively simple reform. But, so,
0: so, but you have permanent secretaries who are like CEOs and they're called accounting officers, aren't they? So they're on the hook for the spending made by their departments. Wouldn't you just be changing giving somebody a new name badge, CEO rather than permanent secretary? It goes far further than just a new name badge.
3: It's giving that individual the complete responsibility for implementing the policy decisions that are taken by the minister. It's essential that that person is an outsider to the system so that they can actually bring modern management techniques which are common to every successful charity or sports club or normal company.
0: So if you bring them in from the private sector where they've learned their experience there. Can implement, yes, and you know it's a perfectly
3: normal change management system yeah. which you think would have an extraordinary mm. impact on the way that government works.
0: There's a guy called John Manzoni who I knew uh, when he was at BP when I was in the Telegraph's city office and he became the chief executive of the civil service from 2014 to 2020 they have tried this haven't they i guess what's got to happen is the civil service have got to back it and empower these individuals to use their business now to improve how the civil service works there have been so many attempts
3: at reforming central government recently sort of, i think there've been sort of something like 20 in the last three de- decades so it's well known that there's a problem And it's well known that the solution does lie in the direction that we are proposing. The difficulty is that it actually needs to go far further than any of the previous attempts. And I think now is exactly the right time at which an incoming Labour government or Conservative government, it doesn't matter which Mm -hmm. colour, they should realise that there have been no successful departmental reforms this millennium. And that if they are to achieve anything, then... Radical reform,
0: along the lines that we suggest, is absolutely necessary. And do it now when actually it's required, when there's a recession about to start, according to the reports, there's obviously a war on, there's a COVID pandemic to get past. I mean, now's the moment. Now is absolutely the moment. There's
3: so many challenges facing the UK that we have to accept. If things are to improve, it means a change in the way the administration works. We're still basically using something which was invented in 1854 by Northcote
0: and Trevelyan and which ran the British Empire. We need to catch up. If I was to do a headline on it, are you saying this is how to fix the blob? I mean, do you recognise the term the blob? That's used by, by the right, isn't it, to criticise the civil service attempts to water down its plans. Is the blob a correct term you're describing? I wouldn't
3: use the blob myself. It is slightly, obviously, it's got derogatory overtones. Again, I stress it's not the fault of individual ministers, it's not the fault civil of, servants. of senior civil servants. It's the system yeah. that is bust, it's the system that's not enabling anything to, to change effectively. And underlying it all, which has been recognised just the other day by Jeremy Hunt, is the extraordinary
0: difference in public sector productivity mm. and that in the private sector. Mm. Of course, your group, the Effective Governance Forum, is publishing proposals on what to do about this in coming months. Well, where can we find those? They're all on our website, and our next
3: focus will be on decentralisation. The UK is by far the most centralised democratic large country in the world. It's quite ridiculous that these overworked ministers and their civil servants are expected to be experts on a particular bypass for a town. It's madness much more power should be given down to the lowest possible levels of government, which would see an extraordinary rebirth in local enthusiasm, local support. All these ideas we've done polling on, and they are incredibly popular.
0: Well, Tim Knox, uh, the editor of the Effective Governance Forum, thank you for joining us this week on Chopper's Politics Podcast, and we'll put a link to your website in the show notes this episode. Wonderful, thank you. Tim Knox there. Well, that's all for this week's Chopper's Politics podcast listeners. Thank you to my guests this week, Joy Morrissey MP, Tim Knox and Andrew Griffith MP. Thank you to my producers, Louisa Wales, Giles Gere and Elliot Lambert, and to great help, extra help from Darcy. But most importantly, of all, we'll thank you to you for listening. For more insights into the wonderful world of Westminster, please do sign up to the Daily Telegraph's politics newsletter called Chopper's Politics. Drive straight into your email inbox every weekday and the link for signing up to that is in the show notes to this episode. And don't forget to read my weekly Peterborough Diary Gossip Column out every Friday at 7pm online and in Saturday's copy of The Daily Telegraph. And as always too, please buy a copy of The Telegraph if you can. I know you won't regret it. Until next time though from the Redline Pub, cheerio!